0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. The mastery we seek, whether it's writing or drawing or anything else, whether we accomplish it at a high level or we practice it joyfully at an inept level, is always about connection. It's always about uh, connecting with an audience, an individual, sometimes an imaginary individual. But there is no mastery in the absence of another.
1: Welcome to the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kovnat, and it's time for our final masterclass with New Yorker writer Adam Gopnik, author of the new book, The Real Work, The Mystery of Mastery. If you've been listening this week, you know that Adam has shared his adventures in midlife learning as he set out to teach himself to draw, to drive, and to bake. Now, Adam says The Real Work is a self-help book that doesn't help, in the sense that you won't find any bread recipes in it, for example. But it can help you figure out what mastery is all about, whatever it is you're trying to get good at, for your career or as a hobby, there are universal lessons to be found in Adam's somewhat bumbling attempts to teach his aging reflexes new, sometimes risky, abilities. Today, Adam's going to wrap things up by sharing what happened when he set out to learn two very different-seeming skills, boxing and ballroom dancing, at the same time. And he immediately discovered that they weren't so different after all.
0: Dancing and boxing were both articulated in exactly four distinct beats. In the gym beneath the elevated train, jab, jab, cross, hook. Then the hands went back to the side of your head. On the esplanade in Central Park, step, step, slide, stop. Hop or shift to change directions. Then back to the four-part sequence again. In each skill, a rich and flowing activity broken down, yet again, as so often, into component parts, and then the pattern built back up. In this case, with this participant, always feeling on the edge, never quite in the flow of it, but seeing again how the flow is never really a flow, but a thing built up of limitless smaller frames until, played rapidly, it gave the illusion of continuous movement. The manufacture of this illusion, short steps into seamless sequence, is not a special feature of the movies. It is a fact of life. It is the truth of learning.
1: Let's start by talking about boxing. Uh, I mean, I'm curious what made you want to learn to box and you say that you loved all the the kind of pugilistic writers like the Hemingways and Norman mailers and but as as a fairly non-pugilistic type of writer, you know what made you want to go that direction?
0: i I think I decided to learn to box like everything every inquiry in this book it began like everything in life with a small impulse which then mushroomed, into a uh, a larger practice. It initially was just my the, uh, the weight trainer I went to said you would love boxing and I got a great boxing teacher. And I thought great, learn to box. What could be more interesting? Mm. I'd like that. And partly cuz I think that it was truly Michael, it was during the Trump years and I had an enormous mm. amount of accumulated anger and belligerence that I wanted to to siphon out but also because uh, I'd always been fascinated by the literature of boxing. And what I discovered when I started boxing is, first of all, again, the same pattern of the the small counterintuitive step turning, if you persevered in it long enough, into, if not a seamless, then at least an uninterrupted sequence. And I, I realized that it connected me in a way that I hadn't anticipated when I began to my own grandfather. My grandfather was a Uh, A semi-pro, you know, an amateur boxer in Philadelphia in the 1920s and 30s, and he loved boxing. He talked about it all the time when I was growing up, and I had never fully entered into my grandfather has been gone now for many many years. But I remembered him in the same way that my father came to inhabit me as I drove. My grandfather came to inhabit me as Mm. I boxed, and at the same time that I was boxing. I took up dancing with my daughter Olivia because while boxing was a kind of rear view mirror into my grandfather's psyche and into my own mixed up masculine psyche, dancing was a way into a conversation with my daughter who is a, one of the lights of my life along with her brother um, and who I'd always written about and been very close to and who had gone off to college and come out as queer to use the word she prefers to gay. Um, which was no shock or worry or wonder to me, but it recalibrated our relationship in Mm. lots of ways. And I thought we could have a better, we both thought, because I said to her, Lilla Baby, why don't we take up uh, ballroom dancing? And she said instantly, somewhat to my surprise, I'd love that, Dad. Mm. Let's do that. And we both knew that there was a lot of other material in it that we would unknot as we stumbled into dancing. So I tried to put those two activities together, boxing and dancing, both for their commonality, just as mm-hmm. sheer physical practices, but for their larger dialogue as as uh, psychic or, if you like, spiritual ones.
1: Mm. Well, a couple thoughts. One is that you note with some surprise that boxing had a lot more defensiveness in it than you anticipated, yes. and dancing had a lot more aggression than you had anticipated. At least for the person leading, there is that kind of assertiveness that you have to express every
0: time. Absolutely. If if you're the man, if you're the male, if you're Mm -hmm. given the designated male role in dancing, you've got to lead. And yes, of course, it's a stereotyped and gendered step, but it's one that human beings have been engaged in for a very long time and um, that has a beauty and kind of uh, eloquence of its own because it's a form of courtship. Just as boxing is all about perpetually thinking about the imaginary other the opponent who you may never I'll never get into the ring unless they can find another <laughs> five foot four uh, middle-aged um, writer who's been in the sedentary <laughs> occupation you never 40 know
1: what he they, they might start that division any day now
0: I am, I'm open for to to fight a benefit if they can find that if they can find that guy but I can dance with my daughter adequately I don't know pretend for a moment that I dance well, she's wonderful to look at, but I don't claim that. But the internal sense of the unique satisfaction of dancing is something that I think that Olivia and I shared, and it's where I choose to end the book, saying exactly, in a certain sense, it doesn't matter if it looks good to everyone passing by in Central Park, into the rats rustling in the bushes in the pandemic years, we are engaged in a common practice, that brings us together in a state of absorption that produces a unique kind of happiness
1: of course the these two activities boxing and dancing are the two that you take up that do involve a partner a sparring partner or a dancing yes. partner and and then you do kind of bring out this lovely idea that that mastery is really always for people you're you're doing it for others as much as yourself even though there is this great satisfaction in being good at a thing for itself and that's that's satisfying to you but ultimately you do want to give the world and to those you love and and to share your skill and these things you're taking pleasure in with others
0: yes that's the final and by far the most important insight um epiphany that I had in the in the course of writing this book you know the and every magician will tell you that you can't do magic into a mirror you can mm-hmm. learn magic In a mirror, but the magic in magic is in the exchange between two active minds. That's where magic takes place in that exchange, not in your magic is in your mind, not in your fingers. When you're drawing or painting, you're inviting the beholder in. And and a good drawing is a series of seductive invitations to the viewer to look in new and unexpected ways. And boxing, which you wouldn't think of in this way, everything you do in boxing, you do in opposition to an imaginary opponent who's standing right across from you. And if you don't imagine that opponent vividly and avidly, if you're not constantly slipping and, and fainting in, in his presence, then you can't box, even if he doesn't exist. And you dance with your daughter. You dance with another person. There's a French philosopher named Emmanuel Levinas who once said that um, we know ourselves as ourselves only when we look into the eyes of another and I used to think that was the kind of thing only French people would think was profound. But mm-hmm. I now am inclined to think it's the sort of thing only Americans would miss its profundity, mm. uh, actually. And I think that that's true. We do the mastery we seek, whether it's writing or drawing or anything else, whether we accomplish it at a high level or we practice it joyfully at an inept level, is always about connection. It's always about uh, connecting with an audience, an individual, sometimes an imaginary individual. But there is no mastery in the absence of another.
1: Well, Adam Gopnik, it's been great having you on the next Big Idea Daily. I really appreciate your time and your insights. And I really enjoyed your book. Thanks for coming on.
0: It was a pleasure talking to you, Michael. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening. Whether you want to learn to dance or box or fly planes or write code, for that matter, I hope we've given you something to think about. To take the next steps, go get a copy of The Real Work at your favorite bookstore and download our Next Big Idea app for hundreds of lessons on leadership, productivity, communication, and other skills you might want to master. If you don't already subscribe to our newsletter, click on the link in the episode notes to do so, and then you'll get the best ideas from the latest nonfiction right in your inbox. Join me next week when I'll be speaking with David G. Myers about his book, How Do We Know Ourselves? Curiosities and Marvels of the Human Mind. David has written a good 17 books on psychology, including the field's most popular textbook. And he's got a lifetime of lessons to share about how you can make better friends with your own mind. This week's episodes were written and produced by me, Michael Kavanagh, and edited by Caleb Bissinger. Rufus Griscom is our executive producer. The Next Big Idea Daily is a proud member of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you next week.